0: Give you the word today. You know it's kind of funny. Um, I teach Bible study for men every Thursday, and uh, my thought was that I was going to come in here with a lesson that I'd already prepared. And I have several lessons that I prepared for, and kept going through and going through them. Actually, uh about a month ago, maybe a month and a half ago, um, at our family uh, prayer on Sunday. We always pray first Sunday every month uh, as a family. My kids, my grandkids, my wife, and whoever else is at the house. (coughs) And uh, we start off with praise and worship. And uh, my son was talking about this uh, praise from Psalm that he um, had read or was thinking about and it was David singing a song and praising and jumping and leaping and doing a whole lot of other things It was Psalm 24 and um, I started reading Psalm 24 and it just kinda hit me so as I was preparing for this today's lesson Thinking that I was going to bring up, and I'll tell you what it was—it was words. I wanted to talk about words, and somehow I just kept coming back to this song. And it says start off with praise, total praise. And you know, I—I I kept thinking, well, why, 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 why? I—I know that my praise is real dry, okay. I'm just going to be frank with you. I'm kind of dry, okay? It doesn't mean that I don't feel anything. I'm just dry. And I don't want to speak for other men, but as I look around, wherever I'm at, most of the time, men are dry, okay? But when I look at this psalm of David, mm-hmm. David's partying, okay? Like I see a lot of women doing, okay? Okay? And I'm not saying it's a man-woman thing It just happens to be that way Okay. So to come in here today And, and uh, obviously Renee is always praising yes, Hallelujah. The Zion worshipers are always praising yes, hallelujah. And I said man I see now Total praise came on and it just hit me And then I turn around and I look and Ms. Audrey, she's talking about um, excuses. And they can be lies. So when you, we're gonna get to it, but when we, you get to uh, Psalms 24, you know, Psalms 24 talks about today. It talks about tomorrow. It talks about yesterday. It talks about sin. It talks about praise, it talks about worship, it talks about eternity. There's so many things that it talks about. So even when we get to it, we won't hit everything because you can't hit everything that's going on, okay? You think about David in the moment and what David was thinking about in the moment. Um, At any rate, let's get started here, okay? Thank you for listening. Almighty God and Father of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, Creator of heaven and earth and sustainer of life, our joy, our peace. okay our, our strength, our healer, our provider, our Redeemer. We welcome you in this place. We thank you for today's praise and worship service. We thank you for the Zion worshipers. We thank you for Brother LeBerry. We thank you for the Reconciled Church and the Daughters of Zion Ministries, as well as our leader and pastor, Lois Tyler. Now, Father, you know that Pastor Tyler and her husband, Mac, are on vacation. So we humbly ask that you watch over them. Please guard and protect them from all evil and allow them to enjoy their vacation and return to us safely and healthily. And Father, I personally thank you for this opportunity to serve. Please send your Holy Spirit to be in our midst, to lead and guide this service in the way it should go and to guide my actions so that the words spoken and the mannerisms expressed are inspired by you and you only. And that the words that come forth will fall on good ground and bear good fruit And as a result, Father, we will not only hear your word, but become doers of it also. In the name of Jesus, we pray and we thank you and amen. Amen. There are um, three things I want you to get from today's lesson. Three. First thing, God is worthy of praise. The second thing, we need to seek God's face. We need to seek His presence. Okay. And the third thing that I want you to get from this is we need to open the doors of our hearts and let Him in. Amen. You can turn your Bibles to Psalms 24, and I'm going to read to you. Uh, verses 1 through 10. Um, then we're going to go back and I want to talk about verses 1 through 8. Okay, The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. For he hath founded it upon the seas and established it upon the floods. Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who shall stand in his holy place? He that hath clean hands and a pure heart, who hath not lifted up his soul unto vanity, nor sworn deceitfully. He shall receive the blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is the generation of them that seek him, that seek thy faith, O Jacob, Who is the king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. Amen. Amen. Originally what I wanted to do, I thought somebody else was going to be here today. I wanted to reenact what David must have felt when he, um, when he wrote this songs. So uh, that person's not here, but I, what I want to do, is uh, I want you to do it, okay? So um, I want to get to um, as a reenactment uh, with this song. It would be sung at the temple, okay? And I believe, and we'll get to it, that David was singing this psalm when he was re- when he was moving the Ark of the Covenant back to Jerusalem, okay? Um, when they're in the temples or gates, he would be asking them, the people outside would be asking them or call out to open up and let the king of glory in. Okay? So when I point to you, I want you to say, who is the king of glory? Okay? So it'll start off like this. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be ye lift up. Ye everlasting doors, and the king of glory shall come in. Who is the king of glory? The Lord Almighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, even lift them up, ye everlasting doors, and the king of glory shall come in. Who is the king of glory? The Lord of hosts, he is the king of glory. Amen. As you can see, this psalm recognizes our great and sovereign God. It's a psalm of joy and happiness. It's a poetic praise by David to God Yahweh. It reminds us that God created everything and that everything belongs to Him. Everything seen and everything unseen too. It reminds us that we need to welcome and worship our eternal King, and that we should praise our Creator out of respect and adoration for Him. Where's Renee? Yeah, amen. That's what she says all the time, isn't it? This song was sung on the first day of the week during temple services. And according to my commentary, Historians believe, and the contents of this psalm seem to support, that it was written by King David to celebrate the return of the Ark of the Covenant from the house of Obed-Edom in Jerusalem to Jerusalem. Now, based on Scripture, it appears that from the time the Ark was captured by the Philistines to the time David moved to Jerusalem, it was more than 20 years. And its movement in history is a story in itself. Now, y'all going to have to bear with me today because there was so much here that even though I didn't want to go into any detail, and I'm not, because I don't want to get sidetracked here, y'all got to understand a little bit about this arc, okay? Because, <laughs> yeah, it's just a little bit too much. So, I'm not going to go through it all, but I'm, I do want to go through a little bit of it. This ark actually represented God being with them, okay? That's what that ark represented, yeah. all right? Now, this ark was in the hands of the Philistines. Now, even though it was, it was David gone before David went and got it for over 20 years, it was only in the Philistines' hands for seven months. Y'all think about that, okay? Let it twist in your heads a little bit. But the interesting thing is that after those Philistines captured that ark, they took that ark back to their temple, the temple of Dagon, their god, their idol, okay? And what did they do? They set it beside Dagon. They come back the next morning, and God's on his face. <laughs> he just fell on his face. So they pick him up, okay? They said, oh, oh okay, okay. Now that's say God, right? So they pick him up. And they put him by the Ark of the Covenant again. They come back the next morning. He not only fell on his face again, he didn't have a head. Didn't have no arms, Amen. and he was at the door. <laughs> let me out! Let me out! Or, <laughs> well, or maybe God was kicking him out. So they turned around and they uh, sent this, this, this. Uh, they sent the ark to Ash God, Ashdod. and then when it got to Ashdod. The people started coming up with tumors and plagues. So they sent it to Same thing happened. People started coming up with tumors and plagues, and people died. So they sent it to Ekron. People at Ekron said, we don't want that here. (laughs) We don't want it here. It's just too late. It's in Ekron. So what happened there? Plagues and tumors, the same thing. So they said, enough of this. Let's, uh, let's, get, let's send this thing back. Let's send this back to, 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 to the Israelites, all right? So they turned around, and, and, and they brought in the, the, the deboniers. They brought in the priests. And they said, well, how can we go about doing this? And they came up with this idea, okay? They said, we're going to make a new cart, build a new cart. We're going to come up with uh, two cows that just gave birth to some calves. We're going to come up with some uh, gold rats and some gold tumors. <laughs> and we're going to put it in the, in the cart for a guilt offering, a guilt offering. And we're going to, we, we're not sure that God really did that. Their God really did that. So what we're going to do is put it on this cart and we're going to let the, the cows go wherever they want to go. Okay, and if they if they if they go to Beth Shemite, then obviously we did the right thing here. All right, so where did the cows go? They went to Beth Shemite. And what happened there? (laughs) Some more people started to die. Why? Some people at Beth Shemite start looking into the ark, and they died. Mm -hmm. You're not to touch that ark, period. So they died. So what did they do? They got some slaves together from Kareth Jero, okay? And, and they asked them to come get that ark. And they took it to Ab- Ab- Abnadab's house. And it stayed there for 20 years, okay? Stayed there for 20 years. So it wasn't with the Philistines, but for s- seven months, okay? Now, who is Ad- Ad- Anibadab? Y'all know that. That's Saul's son. So, what did Saul do with that ark? Obviously, nothing. But that's a, another story. I'm not, I didn't care to get there. I just want you to know how important that was. Okay? Yeah. David understood the importance of that ark. David, when he took over, um, I want to take back the ark, but I want to move to Jerusalem. Okay? So, that's when he went after that ark again. And there's another story that goes along with that too, all right. His first attempt to move it didn't work out too good for some people because they 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 went to to steady the ark and touched it and they ended up dying too and that upset a whole lot of things. So at any rate, make a long story short, I thought it was important to talk about that ark and where that ark had been been. So anyway, David was extremely happy for the Ark's move to Jerusalem because he knew that having the Ark was a blessing. Amen. Amen. The Ark of the Covenant represented or symbolized God's presence with them. David was all was so, so joy, full of joy, that it says in 2 Samuel 6 and 5 that as they were moving the ark, David. And all the people of Israel were celebrating before the Lord. Can you imagine that? Here's a king, and it wasn't just him and some of his people. He asked all his people to come and join them in moving. Okay? That's a celebration. Amen. They were dancing, singing songs, and playing all kinds of musical instruments, lyres, harps, Tambourines, castanets, and cymbals. That almost sounds like a parade. That's a celebration. That's praise. Amen? Verse 1 says, The earth is the Lord's, and the fullness thereof. The world and they that dwell within. Genesis 1 and Exodus 19 both support this claim. Genesis 1 tells us that in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. Mm -hmm. And in Exodus 19 and 5, it tells us that God says, who says? God says, for all the earth is mine. Not anybody else, it's mine. Amen? Amen. So scripture is very clear, at least it's clear to me, that the earth and everything in it belongs to the Lord. And his kingdom rules over all. But as always, but as always, there are skeptics. There are know-it-alls that don't believe, even when the facts smack them in the face. Actually, you have some that believe, after reading scripture, that God gave earth to man. You have others that think God gave earth to Satan. And we all know the story of Adam, the fruit, and our introduction to sin. But I'm not going to unfold that envelope too far right now. But I do want to suggest that man, in cahoots with Satan, And both are walking the earth thinking that they can do anything they want. The reality is, God gave dominion over earth. He gave it to man. But not its ownership. According to Genesis 1 and 26. Meaning, God still reserved for himself its existence. He just told man to cultivate the earth in Genesis 2 and 15 to dress it, to keep it, to work it, to maintain it, and to grow it. That's what he told him. So in essence, God gave man a a tenant over the earth. He made man a tenant over earth. He gave man the right to enjoy the use and advantages of earth, but he did not give up its ownership. Amen. And in Satan's case, John 12 and 31 says that Satan is the ruler of this world. And in 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and 4 it says he is the God, the small g of this world, meaning he is the God of this present evil system of sinful opposition to God the Father, Yahweh. Amen? Amen. He has blinded the minds of those who don't believe. That's the world he rules, but he is not the owner of earth. The truth is, when Christ returns, there will be no doubt. There will be no skeptics, no know-it-alls, or even spiritual forces on earth. God's ownership and rule of the earth will be undeniable. When Christ returns, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and Revelation 11, rebellion against God led by Satan and evil spirit forces will come to an end. Amen. Amen. So it's clear. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, Amen. the world and they that dwell therein. Amen. David recognized this and praised God as sovereign over all. Now, if that's not enough, I want you all to note one other thing that came out of Matthew. Now, what did Matthew say? Well, in Matthew 28, Jesus, Jesus told his disciples, Jesus told his disciples, all, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me not Satan. Amen. 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 Verse 2 says, He hath founded it upon the seas and established it upon the floods. My passion translation says, He's the one who pushed back oceans to let the dry grounds appear, planting firm foundations on earth. Amen. Amen. So the waters which covered the earth and made the earth unfit for man's existence was ordered by God to go under the earth so that the dry land would appear. In other words, God lifted the earth above the flood and the seas and made it dry and fit for man's habitation. The water, in essence, became a foundation for the earth. Can you imagine that? How is it even possible? He established dry land over water. He established earth upon the waters. Only God. only God. Only God. That's amazing. What's also amazing is that Dave could even David could even speak to that. Can you imagine? David thinking about that, you know, that there's more water than there is earth. Can you imagine that? How did he know? Food for thought. Verse 3 says, Who shall ascend into the hill of the Lord? Or who shall stand in his holy place? Passion Bible says, Who then is allowed to ascend to the mountain of Yahweh? And who has the privilege of entering into God's holy place? It's a good question. Obviously, David thought these were important questions too. What type of man is worthy to to be brought into contact with a God of such might and glory? Who has the right to stand in his holy place? Who is worthy to stand in the tabernacle of God to serve him? The answer to this question can be found in the next verse. Verse 4 says, He that has clean hands and a pure heart, who have not lifted up his soul unto vanity, idols, nor sworn deceitfully. David's telling us that that only the perfect man, a righteous man, can ascend into the hill of the Lord. He's talking about those who are clean, whose works and ways are pure, whose hearts are true and sealed by the truth, the word. Those that are not focused on the vain things of this world, such as the riches, honors, pleasures, and profits, or serving other gods and idols. He's talking about those who never deceive, and whose words are sure. Those who do not bear false witness or cheat others. Yes, he's talking about the perfect man. David says, saying that whoever draws near to the presence of God must be free of sin, thoughts, and deeds. You know, it's easy to look at this list and see that our hands are not always clean and our hearts are certainly not always pure. Jeremiah 17 and 9 tells us the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. We may look at this list and ask ourselves, when did I sin? I try to do what's right. But guess what? You may have unknowingly done wrong, but you sinned. Maybe you unknowingly practiced idolatry by holding on to that penny that you did not need, but someone else did. Or maybe you made a promise that you did not keep. Or maybe you made a promise with just a hint of deception The car I'm selling is in perfect condition. I'll never speed again. Officer, I wasn't speeding. Knowing that you really did, even if it was two miles over the limit. Or how about that ink pen you stuck in your pocket? The list goes on. And no, I didn't go to the extremes of saying you killed someone. Or that You burnt someone's house down. Sin is sin. Amen. Amen. And God is concerned with the moral behavior of mankind. Period. Romans 3 and 23 says, For all have sinned, and all fall short of the glory of God. So guess what? None of us are clean and we can't ascend to the heel of the Lord based on our own merits, amen? But fortunately, but fortunately, but fortunately, God provided those of us who believe in his son, Jesus, a new covenant. Amen? Jesus is righteous. He has clean hands and a pure heart. He's never lifted up his soul to an idol and has never sworn deceitfully. Amen. So because of Romans 3 and 22, which says, we are made right with God by placing our faith in Jesus Christ. We can ascend to the holy hill and stand in this holy place. Amen. Amen. Yeah, he's given us an out. Verse 5 says, he shall receive the blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. They will receive Yahweh's blessing and righteousness given by Savior God. Amen? Amen. If we're obedient to God's words. If we're obedient to God's ways. If we're obedient to God's will we will receive his blessings. Amen. Amen? Those that have a right to ascend to the hill of the Lord shall receive the blessings from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. So what are the blessings given to those identified in verse 4? Spiritual blessings in Christ, and grace, particularly the blessing of pardon from sin. Adoption and a right to eternal life. Now based on my King James commentary, these blessings seem to be consistent with the Beatitudes listed in Matthew. Receiving the kingdom of heaven, being comforted, inheriting the earth, being filled, obtaining mercy, seeing God, Being the children of God and receiving the kingdom of God. Amen? Amen. And righteousness from the God of his salvation. Righteousness from Christ, who is the God, who is God the Savior. And the one who brought in everlasting righteousness, which is in him. And it is a gift of his grace and is received from him by faith. Amen? Amen. These are indeed great blessings. Verse 6. It says, this is the generation of them that seek him, that seek thy faith, O Jacob. They will stand before God. They will seek the pleasure of God's face, the God of Jacob. Here, David's not talking about just anybody or even those that made a weak profession of faith. Newsflash, I don't have anybody feeling real bad, but just because you made a profession of faith and you sat on your druthers don't mean you're going anywhere. That's not who he's talking about here, okay? He's not. He's not even talking about a generation of people that just entered into a covenant with God. That's not who he's talking about. He says, this this is the generation of them that seek him, that seek thy faith, O Jacob. He's talking about a generation of people that are seeking God's presence. He's talking about a generation of people that's truly pursuing God. They don't want to seek his hands. They want to seek his face. They seek his favor. They seek his love. They seek his countenance. They hunger and thirst for righteousness. Their happiness and ambition is to accept, be accepted by him. Amen? They will do anything to be approved by him. They will do anything to ascend to the hill of the Lord. They are praying people. They are doers. They join with other godly people to seek him. They seek him with their whole heart. They seek his face as Jacob did. And you know, anybody knows anything about Jacob? Israel, okay? What did he do? He wrestled with God and prevailed, according to Genesis 32. He sought God with persistence and found him. This is the generation of believers David's singing about. Those that truly seek God. Amen? Amen. Verse 7 says, lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be ye lift up. Ye everlasting doors, and the King of glory shall come in. Amen? Amen. So wake up, you living gateways. Lift up your heads and your doorways of eternity. Welcome the King of glory, for he's about to come through you. The Israelites sung this song weekly during temple services, and they sung it as they began to climb the hills of Jerusalem with the Ark of the Covenant. When it's sung, the choir calls for the people of Jerusalem to lift up their heads and open the doors of their hearts with joy to hear God and accept his gospel. They were to do this with anticipation that Christ was coming, the everlasting door to the eternal city. O ye gates, God's people are identified as living gates and doorways. We allow things in and out, including the devil. Is your door open? Is your door closed? But when God opens the doors of eternity within us, no one is able to shut them, not even the devil. So open those doors and gates. Lift your heart. And your hands to God. Hear his word. Sing his praise. Welcome him in. Amen. 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 Revelations 3.20 says. Behold. I'm standing at the door knocking. If your heart is open. To hear my voice. And you open the door within. I will come in to you. And feast with you. And you will feast with me. Amen. Amen. Christ is knocking at your door. At your heart. Are you willing to open up that door. And accept him in. Don't all speak at once. You better open that door when he starts knocking. Amen. Amen. So who is the king of glory. It says in verse 8. The Lord strong and mighty the Lord mighty in battle. The king of glory is none other than Yahweh, the most high, the everlasting I am, our righteousness, our mighty God, the almighty, the son of man, whom God has made strong for himself, the creator of all things out of nothing, The resurrector of himself. That is the King of glory. Yahweh, armed and ready for battle. Yahweh, invincible in every way. Yahweh, the invincible commander of heaven's host. So wake up, you living gateways, and rejoice. Fling wide, you eternal doors. Here he comes. The king of glory is ready to come in. Amen. Amen. How about you? Do you know him? Yes. Yes. Are you ready to let him in? Yes. Amen. 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 Now, earlier, I asked you to listen to this, and I wanted you to take away three things. Three things I want you to get from this lesson. The first thing I wanted you to get is that God is worthy of our praise. Psalms 24 is all about praising God. King David knew, loved, and feared God. To show his love, he not only wrote Psalms 24, but he also requested those in his kingdom to join him in celebrating the return of the Ark of the Covenant. God created the heavens and the earth. So he's worthy to be praised. Amen. 50 verses 1 through 6 tells us to praise the Lord. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Isaiah 43 and 21 says, This people I have formed for who? Myself. They shall so show forth my praise. Amen? Yeah. So God is worthy of praise, isn't He? Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Amen. The second thing I asked you to take from this lesson we need to seek God's face, yeah. which is His presence. Yeah. Amen? Yeah. Our conception about God is blurred. It's only when God chooses to reveal Himself to us that the pieces of His puzzle start to fall in place that's when our eyes begin to open up to truth but guess what that won't happen if we're not seeking his face we need to do more than just say we believe we need to do more than just come to church words without actions mean nothing amen David's encouraging us to seek God's face, to really get to know him, to seek him with our whole heart, to do whatever it takes to get and stay in his presence. Amen. And the third thing that I wanted you to get out of this lesson, we need to open the doors of our hearts to him and it's for eternal life. And I'll say it's for eternal gratification. Because we're all going somewhere. i like to be gratified where I'm going. Amen? Amen? David told us to open our doors and gates and lift up our hearts so we can get, allow God to enter. Revelations 3 and 20 tells us that God is knocking at the door and if our heart is open to hear his voice, He will come into our life. Amen? Amen. And Jesus tells us in John chapter 17 and 3, now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, who you have sent. Here, Jesus is telling us that our continuing to seek God, desiring to know him more, is the essence of true life, eternal life. So the door must be opened when he knocks. Accepting his invitation is the only way to eternal life. Amen? Amen. So my last question for you is this. Christ is knocking at your door. He's knocking at your heart. Are you willing to open the door and let him in? Amen? Amen. doors of this church are open. Is there anyone that doesn't know Christ, but they want to know him? I've seen all of y'all before, except for one, okay? So I know, and we've baptized many of you. Is there one? Romans 10 and 9 says, if we declare with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, will be saved. Are we believing? Amen. Amen. Thank you. Well, thank you, Lord. Thank you, congregation, for being with us today. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance on you and give you peace. And Father, I ask for traveling mercies for all that are here. Please keep them safe and keep them healthy. In Jesus name. Amen.